Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Good to see you again, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, coming to you again this week all the way from Rome where I'm spending most of the month of April at the Great American Academy in Rome. So, you know, for us news junkies, when we think of Rome and news from Rome, we think of one person, Silvia Pajoli, who's been covering Rome and the Pope and the Italian government for NPR for over four decades. We've all learned to love Silvia, not only for her traditional sign-off, from Rome, this is Silvia Pajoli, but for the brilliance and the clarity and the trustworthiness and the power of her reporting. A couple of weeks ago, after 51 years as a journalist and 41 years reporting for NPR, Sylvie decided to hang up her microphone. Now, she's not retiring, she insists. She's just ready to move on to the next chapter. And last week, here in Rome for our podcast, I had a chance to interview Sylvia Pajoli about her remarkable career in front of an audience here at the American Academy. I want to start with some breaking news. Uh, so how's Francis going? How's the Pope? <laughs> We're worried. Well, we actually, this was like the first weekend I didn't report on him. <laughs> so I, my, last, my very last uh, news spot was Friday, and it was the announcement that he would be returning uh, home, uh, home. yes, from uh, the hospital on Saturday morning. And a colleague of mine, uh, I thought this was very charming, a colleague of mine put up, a, we have a, a WhatsApp channel of the reporters who cover the Vatican, and I think she, she's the CNN uh, correspondent for the Vatican, Delia, and somehow she, she, he, while the reporters, there was a stakeout a little bit far away from the, uh, from the hospital, and Francis, when the car broke, drove up, he just, he got out of the car, and she's, she's recording this, and there's a video, and he said, stop the car, he got out, he started talking to the reporters, he was joking, he was, I, I thought it was about the most charming thing I'd seen him do, frankly, it was, uh, it was, uh, I tried to retweet it, but it was too long, and I just didn't have time to sort of edit it, but anyway, it was a, it was a great uh, video, they asked him, how are you feeling, he said, I'm still alive, you know, he was and then there was this family of a, ch a child that he had met that had, who had died, and he embraced them. There was it was a lot of very it was a very moving scene. Um, I didn't watch the mass yesterday, but I read the reports. It sounds like he was okay. He was standing, and he he handled uh, Palm Sunday mass pretty well. I think this is probably the busiest week of any pope's lifetime, right? Easter week, absolutely, starting with Palm Absolute. Sunday. 
uh, any doubt that he'll be full bore doing all of his duties? That's hard to say. All I can tell you is that what, two days before he uh, but was my last day, I heard that he was six. I he can't do this to me now. No, he can't. No, no, he can't fool this one on. I, I got. I, I'm, I'm out. You know, as of Saturday. Anyway, um, who knows? Look, he's 86. He's never taking a vacation. He goes. Uh, he's he's amazing. You know, he he keeps a, a very intense schedule. You know, it's hard to say. It's, uh, you know, we understand he had bronchitis. He's got other problems. He's got a bad knee. He doesn't want to be operated on because the last time he was operated on in his colon, he uh, underwent uh, anesthesia. He had apparently problems with it, so he doesn't want to have an operation. And, uh, you know, I don't know how long he can last, but um, he's already appointed the majority of cardinals who will elect his successor if the question is, will his legacy, that depends, you know, there's a, there's a saying at the Vatican uh, of the pendulum that often a conservative pope is followed by a liberal pope and vice versa, doesn't always happen. But, you know, he has appointed, a, a, I, I think probably uh, we're, we're not likely to see a tremendously conservative pope after Francis. So he has the votes. He has the votes, you know, but you never know. I mean, you never know. Those of us from Washington know. No, right? <laughs> That's what counts. So you have traveled, we've talked about this, you've traveled with the Pope on several, several trips uh, up close. What's he like in person? And uh, does he ever, you mentioned getting out of the car to these reporters. Have you seen that side of him before? Is he accessible? He's very accessible in the sense he, what he does is before the flight takes off, he comes to the back and he is introduced and he says hello to every single reporter, and there's sometimes an exchange. Uh, uh, you know, uh, of some 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 reporters ask him to, you know, bless certain letters for relatives and things like that, or some bring him presents. You know, stuff like that. Um, on my first trip with him, which was the trip to Cuba and then the United States, um, he came by. I was introduced. And he was about to move away. And then I said, you know, the two, I, I actually, I don't know how I got, I just decided to improvise this. I said, you know, you and I have something in common. And he stopped to listen. He's a very attentive listener. And I said, you, you know, speaking in, in Italian. Italian. And I said, you know, we're both the offspring of uh, anti Italian anti fascists. Your parents went to Argentina, my went, mine went to the United States. That's all I said. And he was very, you know, very carefully listening to me. And then, he turned back and he said, you know, uh, my parents uh, bought a ticket the, to, to go to Argentina. And then for some reason they couldn't go. And then that, that ship had a shipwreck a few weeks later, a few months later off of Brazil. Anyways, we had this very short exchange, but it was very, it was quite intense. And he's, I've, I've seen this with other people. He's an amazing listener. He's a very, very attentive listener. And he has this tradition on the return flight where he gives an open news he, conference. At news. least an hour-long co uh, press conference. He stands. He never sits down. He stands the whole time. and uh, Mostly he answers in Italian, and then sometimes when the, the questioners are, 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 are Spanish or Latin Americans, he answers in Spanish, but it's mostly in Italian. But he, he's, he, he, he's, very, he, he's very accessible in that sense, that one that one-on-one. -on -one. He's also given a lot of, especially in the last few months, uh, he marked 10 years of his papacy in March, at the end of uh, early March, and he gave a, he's been giving a lot of interviews to, um, uh, to certain, he gave a very long uh, interview to the Associated Press a few weeks ago 
often he gives it to uh, Latin American papers. So, and he's very much his own press person. You know, the press office really doesn't know what he's going to do. And whenever we, and we get very, very, very brief uh, information, very, very, very minimum information from, from the press spokesman, but because he doesn't know. Essentially, Francis is his own spokesperson. And on the issue particularly, I remember on one fight, right, on gay rights, where he sort of, that was his very first trip to Brazil in 2013. He was asked about a uh, so-called gay lobby inside the Vatican. And from that, he went on. He said the famous line, if a person is gay who am, and, and, and he believes in God or he's a good person, who am I to judge? And that was a pretty extraordinary phrase. At that, it, 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 it has remained in, you know, engraved in his, in his papacy. So how accessible was Benedict? None of them are really accessible in Rome. I mean, as I said, there's, oh, I mean, yeah. Francis has been giving more direct interview. I mean, I don't know what the channels are to get to him because we've tried, but I think we went more through the press office and that's apparently not the way to go. Uh, it's a dead end. Uh, but um, no, Benedict was, uh, I, he, gave, he did talk with reporters a little bit at the end of his, on the flights. But they, I think the the questions there was there was even more pre prepared questions ahead of time. John Paul II, I don't think he had any really press conferences in this way on the flights. But that he sometimes he was a little you know you could ask him a couple of questions. I'm, I I was never on those papal flights, so I don't know. But um, no, Francis is more accessible. Definitely. How many popes have you covered? Three. So. Um... We have a new prime minister in Italy now for some six months. Uh, I see you rolling your eyes. <laughs> now I can. <laughs> so what's the read? How's she doing? I mean, you know, the word ahead of time was that she was going to be this Italian Donald Trump. Uh, okay, let's start from scratch. She is uh, very smart. She's a very smart, she's a very intelligent person. Um, and she, to be, and I do have to say, I personally admire her that she got where she got completely on her own. She never, um, she never had like you know a uh, a, a mentor or a man, a man who was you know helped promote her. She she did everything on her own. Did people say Berlusconi was the one who promoted? No, her? No, no, no. She okay. She was because her party, the party she was in, was part of the coalition. And she had a yeah she was had a ministerial spot there in one of the last Berlusconi governments. She was sports minister. You know that was her only sort of experience in in in, in governing. But uh, I, no, I mean the Berlusconi party is really a personal sort of you know uh, I, 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 the, the ideology is Berlusconismo and that's and that's about it you know his personal interests. Now she, uh, but definitely the party that she created, um, uh, Brothers of Italy, you know, has its roots in in the ashes of, of of fascism of the fascist dictatorship. There's no question about that. And uh, while there's not, you know, likelihood that fascism is going to return to Italy, and it was never really likely with her uh, arrival, what is pretty um, disturbing about Belloni and her government, her minister, her, the ministers of her party, because it's a coalition with the League and Berlusconi's party, is that every now and then there are these, um, 
I, the only way I can describe it is if, if you remember the movie uh, Dr. Strangelove and the Dr. Strangelove character you know, and had to constantly pull his hand back. Well, that's the sense you have, that they, are, they make these amazing statements. It, it's funny, but it's very disturbing. For the other day, the, mm, there was the, uh, the commemoration, the anniversary of one of the worst Nazi massacres in, in, in it was in 1943 or 44, um, 335 here outside of Rome. Uh, it was a reprisal for a partisan attack against uh, SS soldiers. The 30 were killed and on Hitler's personal orders, he wanted 10 victims for, every, for uh, all 30 of the SS soldiers. They were rounded up. There were actually 335 at the end. And they were anti-fascists. They were Jews. They were political prisoners. And uh, they were taken to this cave outside of Rome, the Fossertettine, uh, massacred, killed with, uh, and, 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 and lime was covered over to cover even up the butt. There was almost, I think, a sense even that they had that it was a war crime. The other day, she met, commemorated the anniversary of the Fosse of the Argentina caves, saying, and they were massacred only because they were Italians. She didn't say because they were anti-fascist, because they were Jewish, because they were political prisoners. And it created a tremendous you know, reaction among uh, everybody who has a bit of a memory, a historical memory. You know, this is a problem in Italy. This, uh, this, uh, there, there still is a, a. It's a country that never really had a total, a real reckoning with its fascist past. And these, 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 these brothers of Italy, these people, these uh, who have their roots in that party, the statements they make, you can see that they're trying to really normalize fascism. There isn't really a a willingness. She's never used the word anti-fascist. The the man who ran the party of which she belonged belonged to. He went to Jerusalem and he did make this statement. He said, fascism was il male assoluto, the absolute evil. She's never said anything like that. You and Marla did a story on NPR. You did a story with Marla as your guest. Uh, building on that, some of the traces of fascism still in Italy in monuments to fascist leaders, uh, no effort, no movement at all to remove them, no embarrassment that they're there, unlike you know, in the United States, the effort to to get rid of um, a lot of the monuments to Confederate generals. No, and again, it's part of this, you know, post-war failure of having a real reckoning with the past. And part of it is also the fault of the Allied powers that did not sort of impose a defascization on Italy the way they did on uh, denazification in Germany. For a variety of reasons, in Italy, there was a very powerful Communist Party that the Many communists had been in the partisan, the resistance movement. And uh, so there was sort of, you know, uh, a bit of a let it, let it all go. And this is, I think, this is, a, some, this is a price the country is still paying, the society is still paying, that it has never really come to terms with this, with this past. Uh, the monuments, nobody says they should be knocked down, but they should be at least explained, labeled, um, put in context, and they're not. I mean, the idea that there's still... An, a huge obelisk with the words Mussolini Dukes is, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, uh, it's, 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 it's horrible. I don't. Um, how's Joe Biden received in Italy? <laughs> is he? <laughs> He's not talked about much. I think, um, well, you know, Obama was very popular, at least among, the, you know, the liberal world, obviously. 
Biden, I don't think he's talked about much. The, uh, the mm, one is he doesn't have the charisma of Obama. Then, of course, the Ukraine story has also uh, unveiled, uh, revealed also that there is a certain, a very, a large portion of Italian population of public opinion is not so happy about this um, gung ho. Um, we're all on the Ukraine side. There is a, there are, there are, there are parts of both on the on the right and on the left of a sort of pro-Russian. Uh, and so it is, I'm, I don't think it's a majority opinion, although the, I think there's there's Ukraine fatigue is very vast in Italy, but that has a lot to do with, you know, the rise in utility rates, gas prices, et cetera. The Biden, you know, that you I'm beginning to hear a sort of a lot of that sort of kind of stereotypical anti-Americanism, you know, oh, the war in Ukraine, it's not, you know, it wasn't Russia, it's all an American plot and everything. and that sort of percolates in a certain part of the population. How do people like his uh, new ambassador to Italy? <laughs> <laughs> Again, not talked uh, about much. Those they, who don't know, there is no yeah. U.S. ambassador to Italy. Yeah. Major ally, two years later, MP. Yeah. I think during the Draghi government, it was it was frankly a bit, it was quite, a, I, I personally thought of it, it was very embarrassing that uh, with such a prestigious Italian prime minister that there was um, there was no American ambassador here. You know, the rumor was that uh, he was holding it for Nancy Pelosi. I don't know if that's absolutely true, but that was the rumor. And then after, though, the horrible attack on her husband, that she apparently had second thoughts. She was here last summer and spent quite a bit of time in Rome, and that's what that that sort of fomented a lot the the idea that she probably was going to come. Um, so I don't know if that's true or not, but it's I, 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 it doesn't look good. Oh, Sylvia, God, you've covered so many interesting people, such a career in journalism. Uh, let's hear, I want to hear more about how you got started and what some of the highlights of your career were and what might be next for Sylvia Pajoli. But we're going to take a break first here on the Bill Press Pod, then we'll pick up on the other side. Friends, you know... <laughs> I'm like you, I'm sure. Every time we see the images of Ukraine on television, people being blown out of their apartment buildings, taking shelter in basements, fleeing to the borders, families breaking up. All of us ask ourselves, oh my God, what can we do? How can we possibly help? Here's another idea. Carol and I are doing this, and I hope you will too. Uh, let's help out the World Central Kitchen. Jose Andres and his people are on the scene like they are with every major disaster. Uh, they're on the job in Ukraine, in Poland, Moldova, in Romania, uh, helping the refugees, providing hot meals, and a whole lot more. They need our help, uh, and that's one way to get help directly to the Ukrainian people. Go to their website at wck.org, wck.org, and provide whatever help you can. Thank you. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back with today's podcast with Sylvia Pacioli here at the American Academy in Rome. I've talked to Sylvia about some of the great people that she's been uh, able to interview over her career. Now, let's turn to Sylvia Pajoli herself. Tell us about this amazing, a little bit about amazing media career. Uh, total of 51 years, 41 uh, at NPR. Uh, how'd you get started? Well, in journalism, I got started, sort of felt it was a fluky thing. I um, had a lot of, I had some American British friends who worked on the English language news service at the Italian news agency ANSA, and there was a night shift that none of them liked to do, and so I uh, I used to fill in on the night shift, which went until about you know, it was like nine to three a.m. And then after little by little, I got into journalism, and then I I married an Italian journalist, and uh, he then got he was with uh, the, the newspaper La Repubblica, and then he got um, a fellowship to Harvard, a Neiman Fellowship for journalists. And one of his fellow fellows was an NPR reporter, Margot Adler, a, a really legendary NPR reporter. And we became very good friends. And I got to know NPR through her. So when I came back, um, I went to Washington and I you know, got to know some people. And then I, I started basically freelancing with NPR when I came back. Yeah, we sort of jumped over something, which is you are not born in Italy. Now, I had always assumed that you were. No, no. I was born in the U.S., went to school there, was raised there. I was born in Providence, Rhode Island, lived there till I was one, and then my parents moved to Massachusetts. I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I had to get that in because my wife, Carol's from Providence. Oh. <laughs> so she's very proud of the fact that you are, too. Uh, and so that brought you to, uh, to NPR. Uh, and they said, well, go back to Rome and be our... Uh... I was back. I, I continued working for ANSA. But then I, I started, I, you know, I, for a couple of years, I, I, I was also freelancing. And then I just left the, 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 the news agency and, and continued freelancing. And then little by little got, you know, contracts. And then it took a while. And then I got on staff. <laughs> uh, at, at NPR. Yeah. Right. yeah. Were you the only um, part member of your bureau here? Was there... Big NPR bureau. Yeah, was... me and my dog and my <laughs> my husband was a was a stalwart. If you were to go back and listen, uh, as I'm now listening to, he was the dubber. <laughs> and no, I have nobody. It's all in my home and uh, just just me and myself. And you were on call basically, right? For any story, any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then and then in '88, um, my editor said, "Well, why don't you go to Belgrade? There's this story. There's this Serbian guy who's sort of rising, looks like he's going to become a strong man, and this and that." It was, you know, after Tito's death, where's Yugoslavia going? So I started covering um, Yugoslavia 
what was Yugoslavia in 1988, and that then became, you know, the fall of Yugoslavia, the breakup, and the wars that lasted for a decade. Did you interview Milosevic? No, he was not. He never gave interviews to foreign journalists. I don't think he gave any interviews to anybody. But there was a period, there was at one point an effort, a international uh, negotiations with the mediators were Cyrus Vance and Lord Owen of Britain. And they went on in Geneva for, for quite a stretch of time. And I spent a lot of time covering those uh, negotiations, peace, attempted peace talks. That was in 93, the war ended with Dayton in, 19, in 1995. But often Milosevic would do, uh, would come out and give statements and sort of, you know, blah, to the press like this. But that's about as close as I Kar- Radovan Karadzic, uh, another person who, a Bosnian Serb who was then ended up uh, at the war crimes tribunal and was convicted of genocide and, uh, and he's in jail somewhere in Europe. Um, yeah, I interviewed him many times. He was also staying in my hotel. We were all often on the same floor. So he was easy to interview. And he was just a horrible, horrible person. Who ended up, I believe, being convicted. Yeah, he, he's been convicted of genocide, yes. You told me, just before we got started, that you're now going back in the archives. You're collecting all of the... I'm trying. <laughs> trying to, right? <laughs> it's hard. All of the clips over 41 years uh, at NPR. Um, to, 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 from those you've listened to and those you remember, what are the two or three like biggest stories that that uh, really captured you? Well, I think what's most surprised me is that I'm discovering stories that I totally forgot. It's not only <laughs> stories, I mean, whole whole reporting gigs that I did that I had completely forgotten about. And um, yeah, which I don't know what it says to me about my memory or whatever, but um, I completely forgotten that I'd covered the uh, Middle East peace talks in Madrid after, in 91, that I covered the uh, Algerian elections in 2000. I mean, there are all this stuff that I'd done a lot of, I knew, I remember that I'd done many stories in Turkey, but I didn't realize how much I'd done a huge amount of coverage. And so I, in 96, 97, 98, I did a lot of, I've been many, many trips to Turkey. It was when the first sort of Islamic government uh, was attempted, it, it created and basically the the military kind of suppressed it. What, something that they have not succeeded in doing with um, er- uh, Erdogan. But um, yeah, what has surprised me, um, oh, the quantity of work. I, I didn't know I had done that much reporting. That's That, I think, has surprised me most. And we know, as we're not allowed to use the word retirement, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, the next chapter, right? What is the next chapter for Sylvia Pojoli? I don't know. I, 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 first of all, I wanted to take have a different pace because even though the last few years I haven't been traveling as much I, I, um, at my initiative, um, you're still you're constantly, as you said, the Pope. Any news, you know, this constantly being always on alert. I'm, I, I really just want you know the phone going, clicking every second with these alerts. I want to get away from that. One idea I'm toying with, sort of, I'm not really sure, is maybe. Um, writing about my father, and uh, who was a scholar, an anti-fascist, a translator, who had a, a literary career on, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic, and um, I have all his papers, and, I'm, and um, so I'm thinking about that. And a book about, how about a book about Sylvia Pujol? <laughs> what are you going to do with all these transcripts, that you, not transcripts, but uh, audio versions? That you get? Well, I don't know yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of 
maybe, you know, doing a website and sort of, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. Documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Are there documentary filmmakers here? We've got yeah. a great subject for, for the next one. Well, uh, one thing I know for sure, um, as much as we have uh, enjoyed your reporting in the past, we haven't heard or seen the last of Sylvia Pajoli. <laughs> so uh, in some form, she's going to be with us for uh, many, many years to come. Uh, and aren't we lucky about that? And that's it for today's podcast. A great big thank you to Sylvia Pajoli. Thanks to the people here at the American Academy. And thanks to all of you for joining us. So good to have you with us. Now, have a great week. But don't go into the next weekend before you come back to the Bill Press Pod for this week's Reporters Roundtable on Friday this week. As always, uh, we'll be coming to you with all the news of the week from Washington and around the country, particularly the political news. Um, be sure not to miss the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, Friday's Reporters Roundtable. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.